one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. It seems like Garrett and I have been talking about kids a lot in our sermons of late. Uh, children in our families, children we know, ourselves as children from time to time. Part of this, of course, is that children are often endearingly funny and thus good sermon fodder. But there's a little more going on here, and we're reminded of that in today's gospel. Children are limitless. They will believe anything, in part because life has not taught them that there are things that cannot be. About a year ago, I heard a story on NPR, a woman explaining how when she was a child, for about seven years in a row, she believed that her neighbor was the tooth fairy because her neighbor seemed like a nice enough guy. And once you believe that there is a tooth fairy, the logical next question is, who is it, right? Children, this is an example of childish imagination. The great thing about kids, though, most of all, and what makes them great sermon fodder, is that they believe in love and that this should underpin everything else. As we grow up, we soon learn that the world does not always work that way. Sometimes those lessons are painful and make us shy away from doing bold new things. Enough hard knocks like that will lead to a very limited worldview. It will squash dreams and hopes. It will lead to a life where everyone looks out for themselves. It will lead to a life where no one dares to hope for anything better or worse where those who dream and love are mocked and ridiculed. There's a radio commercial that highlights this in action. In it, a grown woman calls a fictional big bank and asks if they offer a particular account without fees, to which the banker laughs and asks her to put her mommy on the phone because all grown-ups know that banking costs money. The banker doesn't think anything else is possible, and so he hurts the person who dares to dream otherwise. When Nicodemus visits Jesus in the middle of the night, Jesus tells him he should be born again. Nicodemus, as an adult, instantly takes the literal, literal interpretation, the only one available to adults, he thinks. How can you be born again? It is not physically possible. But that is not what Jesus meant. Jesus means to go back to that childlike wonder and belief in love. Jesus replies that Nicodemus must be born again, but he says something else, too. Did you hear? 
Jesus reminds Nicodemus that there have already been lots of signs and miracles. Jesus has been teaching in the temple and performing wonders in the countryside. With all these things, he has been announcing that the kingdom of God is near. But Nicodemus isn't able to see it. Or he just can't believe what he sees. And that is the tragedy of Nicodemus. Because he wants so much to see and to believe. He wants to know about this wonderful world which he has been promised, but he is afraid. Because we know two things about Nicodemus. We know that Nicodemus is a Pharisee and a leader in the temple, and that Nicodemus came to visit Jesus at night. The first thing that Nicodemus is a teacher, a leader in the temple, tells us that Nicodemus is a man who had an interest in telling people how things should be. Like the banker in the radio commercial, he had made a living of telling people exactly how things should be done, and he had grown up believing that that was exactly how things should be done. He didn't make the rules any more than the radio commercial banker did, but both of them had repeated those rules so often that they had stopped believing that anything else was possible. And yet he had this hope that there was more. And so he came to ask Jesus himself under cover of darkness so that no one could see him. In other words, Nicodemus was afraid. Perhaps afraid that others from the temple would see him and ridicule him. Or maybe the fear ran a little deeper. Like the banker in the radio commercial, he had a vested interest in keeping things as they were. After all, the banker profits from fees he can charge. The Pharisees profit from being leaders and scholars. Nicodemus profited in other ways, too. For as long as he adhered to the rules he set out, he knew that he was okay. He could reassure himself of that. He could look down on those who did not follow the rules, the ones who did not measure up to his standards. It allowed him to judge. He did not have to love them then. The temple officials had declared Jesus suspect because he broke those very rules, because he reached out to everybody, regardless of who they were. Nicodemus, in contrast, enforced the rules. He couldn't be seen doubting them any more than that radio commercial banker can start creating free accounts without authorization. Nicodemus wants desperately to believe that something else is possible. But his livelihood depends on nothing being changed, and his self-esteem depended on him being right all the time. And so he could not risk trying to see things differently. When we baptize people in the Episcopal Church, the priest blesses the water first. 
And among the things that he or she says is that in this water we are buried by cr with Christ in his death. By it we are raised, share in his resurrection. And through it we are reborn by the Holy Spirit. We thus recount the very words of Jesus saying we die to the world as it is and are reborn by water and the spirit to the world God has created. We are, in fact, reborn. And as Garrett pointed out it, with the kids in the children's sermon, it means that we get to once again put on God, God's eyes, children's eyes, that, uh, those eyes that have a holy imagination. In our parish, our children live into this in wondrous ways. Through parents, Sunday school teachers, and sometimes even the newspapers, I hear and read accounts of St. Paul's kids making a huge difference in the world. Of seeing people who are hungry and buying them dinner, or collecting hundreds of pounds of food to ensure that they won't be hungry again of youth going on mission trips and rebuilding homes and relationships, of sharing love and, a ho and hope in a place that desperately needs both. But I suspect that many of us, as we have grown older, have started to lose that vision. We read of people who don't use our gifts the way we intend and we grow disillusioned. We see the, the seeming never-ending stream of hurt in the world, and we see, feel overwhelmed. We can't do it all, we think. Or else we encounter one too many people like those in the temple who don't believe that greater things are possible. Maybe they laugh at us. And we, like Nicodemus, become afraid to believe in the great possibilities of God. We stop loving. We begin judging. And we begin to have a vested interest in keeping the world as it is now. But there are ways to break out. When I was living in southern Ohio, my diocese was part of a faith-based effort to deal with one of the challenges that was sort of harming people in poverty. They wanted, they pressed for legislation to limit payday lenders, those little shops that offer small short-term loans, say three or four hundred dollars for a month or two. They charge exorbitant interest rates and effectively drove the people who need that money even further into poverty. They were predatory, some argued, and therefore they should be eliminated. But, said others, they are necessary. For people barely making ends meet, there are no real solutions for unexpected crises, like when the car breaks down or there's an unexpected medical emergency. And so, those people argued, shutting down the payday lenders would only leave people with absolutely no options because banks don't make loans of those small amounts and the people who needed them wouldn't be considered good credit risks anyway. 
everybody, it seemed, had a vested interest in keeping things the way they were. And everyone viewed it as a problem. The problem of people who need emergency money, the problem of credit risk. Nobody knew how to view it through the lens of love with God's holy imagination. It turns out that there were churches, AME churches not surprisingly, and others who had used their holy imaginations to envision other possibilities. Credit unions which could encourage members to save small amounts without, ch without charge for a rainy day. Credit unions who could then pool those investments to make small loans at more reasonable rates for those who needed them. These organizations saw people as children of God, not as customers or as credit risks. And I'm not saying that there are credit unions in the kingdom of God, but I'm pretty sure that this is an example of using a holy imagination to break through what might otherwise seem to be an intransible problem. Those involved in this solution took the time to view all the parties as children of God and to take them seriously, to listen to their needs and their hopes and not judge them on the circumstances, to view them all as worthwhile, to respect the dignity of every human being. So let us get back to Nicodemus's question, what must we do to see the kingdom of God and inherit eternal life? The answer may not be what you think it is. Because in the Episcopal Church, we believe that baptism is a sacrament. And thus, like any sacrament, once something is transformed into something holy, like the bread and wine of the Eucharist, once something is so transformed, it can never go back to being ordinary again. The same is true of each of us. For those who are baptized are forever transformed. We are reborn. In fact, each time we make the sign of the cross, we remind ourselves of our baptisms. We remind ourselves of our proclamations made at our baptism and our confirmation that God's kingdom is possible. It means that at our baptisms, we were given that holy imagination. And when we find it getting a little too blurry, we need only to repent and turn away from those things which frighten or disillusion us and believe. Lent is the time to do just that to reimagine what is possible, to go into the world and see each person not as a customer or potential troublemaker or a problem, but a beloved child of God. To recognize where we, like Nicodemus, have a stake in the system, whether it's a system that gives prestige and power to those who do not merit it, or a system that devalues people and their contributions because that is the old way of doing things. It has died. We have been reborn. Amen.